0: Another episode of More Happy Life. This is your host, Andy Proctor. Thank you so much for being here. I want to introduce to you today our guest on the show, Dr. Gleb Spierski, known as the disaster avoidance expert. Uh, Dr. Gleb Spierski protects leaders uh, from disasters by developing the most effective decision making strategies via his consulting, coaching, and training from firm disaster avoidance experts. A cognitive neuroscientist and behavioral economist, Dr. Zipersky, uh writes for Inc.com, Time, and CNBC. He's a best-selling author. His new book available on Amazon and in bookstores everywhere is Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. So today our episode talks about uh, when it's good to go with your gut and his... Uh, kind of uh, some some perspectives that Gleb shares on when it is actually not a good idea to go with your gut feelings. So I hope you avoid this episode. I hope you, I don't hope you avoid this episode. I hope you enjoy this episode and avoid disasters in your own life and in business. All right, welcome to the show, Gleb. Thank you so much for being here. I am excited to talk about these topics with you and I, you know, I believe that happiness comes largely from the amount of energy and clarity we have in our lives and decision-making is a huge part of this. And, you know, one of the most effective uh, ways to deplete our energy is by having to make too many decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when I saw your book that talks about not following your gut, I was, I was just intrigued to talk to you about this, um, this whole decision-making process. Uh, so let's start there. Why is it that we should not follow our gut when making decisions?
1: Well, it's simple. Unfortunately, our gut reactions, our intuitions are really not adapted for the modern environment. I was really surprised when I found this out. They're actually adapted for the Savannah environment, when we were hunter-gatherers living in small tribes of 15 people to 150 people. And so therefore our reactions, that's what they're for. That's what they're about. That's what our instincts, our intuitions, our primal and savage self, as Tony Robbins tells us to be primal, be savage. He's basically telling us to be in the Savannah. That's the (laughs) kind of message that he is sending. So we have two very important drivers. I'll give us an example, two very important drivers of the Savannah environment got reactions. One is tribalism. So we lived in small tribes. We had to be very tribal. We had to look for people who are like us. We had to think. We had to look for people who thought like us, who looked like us, who had the same values that we do and reject those who didn't because if we weren't sufficiently tribal we'd be kicked out of our tribe and then we would die and we're the descendants of all of those who didn't die yeah right. <laughs> that, yeah exactly so that's great if you live in the tribal savannah but it's pretty terrible if you live in the modern complex world not a good fit for the modern world very complex very different people you have to work with very different people you have to live with very different people does not work well so that's kind of one people related area. Another one is called the fight-or-flight response. Now, you might have heard of this one. We had to jump at 100 shadows in order to get away from that one saber-tooth tiger. You know, it's right, also called right. the saber-tooth tiger response, right? So in the Savannah environment, we dealt with threats that were immediate, intense in the moment. That's great for the Savannah environment, but you might notice there are many less saber tigers around right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so right now, we have to deal with threats like let's say professionally, if you get a nasty email from a client, right? Uh, irate email from a client. Now, what's the temptation? There are two tempting things to do that depends on your personality. Some people are very tempted to just delete the email, ignore it, never happened, whatever. Ghost the client, and that's one. Another type of personality that's more like a, uh, the kind of person I am is the fight response. So you want to write back an email saying, No, what are you talking about? You're wrong. I'm right. You're a jerk. I'm awesome. <laughs> that's the other type right. of response. Neither of those is the right response in that sort of situation. What mm-hmm. you actually want to do in that situation is figure out well, what's the underlying issue that caused your client? To write you an irate email because you know if one client writes you the email probably a hundred people are thinking that so that is Mm -hmm. indicative of a deeper problem so you want to figure out what is the deeper problem what's going on solve the problem and then of course address the client's feelings emotions calm them down that's a completely counterintuitive thing to do very not intuitive feels very uncomfortable because it goes against your gut intuitions but that's the right thing to do. Or let's take another example. So that's we have a very strong outsized threat response to these emails and we respond wrongly to them. So that's one. Now the other thing that we respond badly to is slow moving train wrecks which are our world is full of major disruptions. For example, COVID-19, huge disruption, very much changes our world. We are kind of in a right. new normal after COVID-19 but we are not responding to it very well a lot of people are just ignoring it thinking it'll pass them by it won't hurt them that all this you know hoopla about it is just you know some nonsense and they're ignoring it and they're trying to live their lives as they previously would that's the flight response another group of people are have the panic mode the fight response going panic shopping making bad professional decisions, which I can talk about at length. So that's kind of the the fight mode. Neither of those is the right response. The right response is to realize that, hey, you know, despite it being very uncomfortable to realize that we're in a new normal, we will be dealing with COVID-19 for the next couple of years at the least until a vaccine is found and mass produced, more likely in the five to seven year range, because it's likely, you know, the first wave of vaccines isn't likely to be effective just because of the base in the past experience of creating vaccines so it's most likely it will take you know in the five to seven year range to create an effective vaccine so we'll have to fight it this thing for a long time and we have to deal with the new world in which we're in that means you need to change your strategic plan you need to change your life plan and go forward effectively and that's very counterintuitive as well because it's very hard for us to realize that in a very short time period our world has turned upside down that's not something that happened in the savannah that's not what our instincts tell us is the right thing and so instinctively we react to it wrong so those are just some examples and there are many others where our instincts cause us to make the wrong decisions
0: those are interesting examples and yeah i think um it sounds like uh these uh fight or flight um You know, instincts that we have uh, that are, you know, evolutionarily uh, injected into our, you know, into our um, into our nerves, you know, into our brain uh, to to make us feel that we should run or should, you know. um, make these quick decisions or, or or not make a decision because we think oh it's fine. Um so that's interesting. So are the, are there any times when we should we should actually uh follow our gut? I mean I guess you know if 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 there's a, a saber toothed tiger or or you <laughs> know, I guess not a saber toothed tiger but maybe a you know, a mountain lion or something like that yes. like then Yeah, we so it should, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. So if you have a bus barreling down at you, which is the modern equivalent of the saber, it's the mechanical equivalent of the saber-tooth tiger, <laughs> right. you probably don't want to think about it, analyze it, and think about, you know, let me calculate the angles as I try to decide where to get out of the way, right? Get, get you out just, of the road. <laughs> yeah. You just want to just go with your instincts and get out of the road at that moment. So that is a definitely a good time because it's a fight-or-flight response. That's what it's about that's what that instinct is for so in life or death moments great just go with it that's one the other example is when you're dealing with people who you know really well and that's about tribalism because in the tribal environment you have to deal a lot with people in your tribe so it was important for you to learn who they were what their personalities were about how you interacted with them when they're about to backstab you, right? (laughs) Because that happened, of course, in a tribal environment. So in the modern environment, we can kind of trust our instincts about people who we know for a long time. So let's say if if you've been dealing with the same business partner for a while and they're making a new proposal and something seems to you to be off about the way they're interacting with you about their communication, You feel weird about it that's a time to kind of you know check more under the hood than you usually would because there might be something going on that's unexpected they might be you know trying to backstab you not likely but it might be the case so that's the time to be a little bit more suspicious so that's the kind of situation where you want to rely more on your gut reactions with people you know for a long time not new people not new
0: relationships but people you know for a long time who are really part of your inner tribe Interesting. Yeah. You know, I've been reading this book uh, by Barry Schwartz uh, called Practical Wisdom, and he talks a little bit about how to make wise decisions. Um, and so I wonder if we could talk about, you know, do you, do you think that there is a different a difference between uh, this idea of wisdom uh, where it's basically, you know, kind of combining nuance with um, morals and all these different um uh types of of you know variations of, of decision-making factors. Um so wisdom between wisdom and and that kind of gut feeling that you're talking about.
1: There's definitely a difference. Now I want to be very clear that there's definitely a semantic issue here. So meaning of words. Wisdom, different people right. use different terminology to refer to different things. So sure. we have to be really careful about how we use terms. If we are talking about here wisdom as something that's a result of a deliberative process where you thought about the issue, you thought about morals, you thought about implications, you thought about consequences, yes, that's much better than just going with your gut reactions because that's what I'm talking about. You want Mm -hmm. to use your head as opposed to relying on your gut. Those are the two dynamics here. Those are the two opposites, the gut and the head. So you don't want to be trusting your gut in making decisions in the modern world, unless you're having a life or death reaction situation or working with someone who, you know, for a long time and you're trying to read them. Uh, You generally want to rely on your head and evaluate the situation. That means having a reflective, deliberative process. And if that is what berish words means by wisdom that's totally fine yes so using a deliberative process to examine the issue
0: yeah absolutely you know and i think there's all kinds of different ways to to look at um at, at you know the semantics <laughs> obviously but uh but yeah i think um there's a uh, interesting discussions that we've had a little bit on this podcast even about um you know the the gut feeling and and what that means even too, because we've talked about microbiome and we've talked about, um, you know, the fact that we have 100 million neurons in our in our gut, you know, in our actual mm-hmm. digestive tract that all yes. are feeding information to our brain. And, um, and so, uh, you know, there's not a ton of research on it yet on this process, but it's a lot of people, researchers have even said that are uh, referred to the gut as a second brain and, mm-hmm. um, and that it, you know, it's capable of cognition on its own. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, I think it's interesting to look at that and to think, think about that too. But I think, I think what you are trying to, to, to say here in terms of not trusting your gut is not um, that in as much as it is, you know, not allowing our emotional brain or that kind of lizard brain, the one that's the more prehistoric uh, side of Mm -hmm. our brain to take control, right? Um, Yes, exactly.
1: And that of course is tied to the kind of neurons that are in our gut. You know, those are not the more reasoning, logical neurons. They are the more intuitive neurons. That's why you have a gut feeling, you feel comfort in your gut with something and what you feel comfortable with. People often mistake what they feel comfortable with for what is true and what is right. And that's absolutely mm. not necessarily the case. You know, you might feel very comfortable with eating a box of dozen donuts. <laughs> it, that's right. very comfortable. It's delicious, You know, very appealing. It's like there on the table, somebody left the, the donuts in the break room table, just want to eat them all. Right. The, because in the Savannah environment, when we came across the source of sugar, honey, apples, whatever, we had to eat as much of it as possible in order to survive and thrive. We're the descendants right. of those who did so. So right now in the modern environment, we're still very tempted to eat all the sugar that we come across just because it's there. And of course, food companies know that and they try to feed us a dozen box box of dozen donuts. Now you should not eat more than like one donut, maybe two, but you've got to stop at that second donut. But really, if it's you eat two donuts and there's still 10 remaining in the box, it's going to be very hard to resist eating them. So that feeling of you resisting eating them, that is you going against your gut reactions. That's you going against your intuitions because, you know, based on extensive research and public health campaigns, that eating a dozen donuts is going to screw up your health, right? It's going to co- cause right. you to really not be fit. That You know that. that. That's something you've been familiarized with. Well, what I'm talking about is on the cutting edge of research about... The, our mental fitness, not about our physical fitness. So physical fitness, not to eat a dozen donuts, great. Mental fitness, don't go with your gut reactions with what's comfortable in other areas of life too, because just like eating a dozen donuts, going with your gut reactions on a e- email from an irate uh, you know client, or in responding to COVID-19, or so many other life decisions, you know, or when you let's say when your partner says something. Uh, When your romantic partner says something mean and hurtful, the temptation is to, of course, say something mean and hurtful back. That's the intuitive, natural thing. That's what feels good. That's what your gut reaction tells you to do. Now, what would be the result of that? Well, your partner would say something hurtful again, and it would blow up and escalate into a conflict. But if you figure out, well, what's going on, with your partner that caused them to say the mean hurtful thing, empathize with them, see maybe they 're in a bad mood because let 's say i mean i don 't know well, let 's go with covid nineteen again you know they 're stuck at home and they, you know you 're in their face twenty four seven and they 're in your face twenty four seven and they 're just you know sick and tired of it it 's understandable i 'm sure many people are <laughs> so right. this is uh, an understandable situation where instead of escalating the conflict, you should really de-escalate the conflict. And that is a very counterintuitive thing to do, but it's a thing that you want to do for the sake of your romantic relationship. And that <laughs> that's the, yeah. very important. So that's yeah. another example of where you don't want to go with your gut, where you want to make sure to go with your head.
0: That's really interesting. And I think important too, and I think it requires a good amount of uh, you know, emotional intelligence, as well as uh, some you know, mindfulness and coping strategies in inside of your own head for mm-hmm. yourself. And so, I think that's really important to to remember. Um, and I think uh, to to build those types of things, um, I think it is helpful to understand the cognitive biases that that mm. we are dealing with. And I, you talk about um, cognitive biases as. One of the you know biggest reasons uh, why why we should be careful in trusting our gut or our intuition. So what are let's let's talk a, a, about some of those um, cognitive biases. You know what are some of these um, kind of brain traps you know or biases that we should watch out for, especially right now as we're you know navigating this global economic transition and health uh, crisis of COVID nineteen.
1: So cognitive biases are the specific dangerous judgment errors we make because of how our brain is wired, because of the evolutionary, our evolutionary psychology, that, evol- that evolutionary background that I mentioned, and just the factors of how our brain is wired, those brain-gut you know, connections, and various other ways of how we process information. So those are cognitive biases. Now, let's talk about some examples. So with COVID-19, the most prominent one here is called the normalcy bias. So the normalcy bias. We have a very strong intuition, temptation to believe that the future will be like the past. That the immediate future, the medium-term future, at least next few years, will be like the last few years. That's what feel. That's what feels right. right? That's what we believe. So it's very hard for very many people to believe that COVID-19 has fundamentally transformed our lives in very powerful ways. It's un- literally unbelievable. People can't imagine it. It's very hard for them to imagine. It feels very wrong. But really, like I said, COVID-19 will be around for a long time because it's, there's no way to cure it until we have a vaccine. won't have a vaccine for the next two, two years in most optimal scenario. So we're facing a series of lockdowns shortages you know disruptions of various sorts and then when COVID-19 has gone down somewhat we'll have a loosening of restrictions but that will mean that COVID-19 will be again spreading quickly for the population and we've seen that in Asian countries that have successfully had restrictions that prevented COVID-19 from spreading quickly then lifted the restrictions and COVID-19 started spreading quickly they had to reimpose restrictions so that's what we're facing for the next yeah. two to five years, maybe longer. That's a big problem, but we are refusing it. Our gut reaction refuses to accept that. So we have to logic ourselves into it and changing our plan in the future. So that's one example now with COVID-19. Now, another example, I'll give you an example from my life. One of my biggest cognitive biases, the traps, mental traps, my thinking is called the optimism bias. Now, the optimism bias is kind of like it sounds. I tend to be very optimistic about the future. I tend to think, feel, not think that the world is a safe place, is a nice place, is a friendly place. I feel that the grass is green on the other side of the hill, even though it's sometimes yellow. I feel that you know, there's, the world is full of opportunities, and I'm risk-blind, I ignore threats, and I have high expectations, exaggerated ones, for myself and for other people. Well, that caused me to run into many problems and make many mistakes. Now, it helps me in number of ways. So I'm an entrepreneur. I run a business called Disaster Avoidance Experts, which is a consulting, training, and coaching business of six people and doing disaster avoidance. So it helped me start up the business to be more optimistic, to inspire people, leaders, entrepreneurs are very often optimists, they're overwhelmingly optimists. But it caused me a number of problems because you know I have 20 ideas before breakfast and I think all of them are brilliant. Right. <laughs> now, <laughs> if I just went the tribal route and very many entrepreneurs go the tribal route and they hire other people into the company just, who are just like themselves. Now think about what would happen if we had six optimists working in this business. All of us would have 20 ideas before breakfast and we would all reinforce each other's ideas and we'd say, yes, that's brilliant, let's do that. Then we'd be trying to implement 120 different projects. That's you know, that's the reason why so many startups fail. They, you know, if you look at the number of, if you look at startup failures, about half of those startups fail within the first five years, two thirds fail within 10 years, and three quarters fail within the first 15 years. Well, one of the biggest reasons that startups fail is because, one of the top reason, actually, is because there's a mismatch between the products that they offer and the market. And of course, you know that's one—that's uh, the case when you have a brilliant idea that's not actually proven on the ground level. The second reason is that they run out of cash, and that all very often happens because they pursue too many projects at once. That's bad. So I make sure to hire some pessimists into the mine into the company. Now it feels very uncomfortable for me to work with pessimists. I click very well with optimists. I work very well together. Pessimists, it's much harder for me to work with. I don't feel intuitively connected with them. But I know I need to because they are the ones who I can give my 20 brilliant ideas, and they can say, well, these are all half-baked potatoes, but maybe these three are worth finishing baking. And they'll fix the flaws of these three ideas, and they'll be and they'll implement them well. Because pessimists, they're terrible at generating ideas. That's not their strength. But their strength is evaluating ideas and then fixing the problems with an idea, and then implementing ideas. That's their great strength. So that's the strength of pessimists. So that's their, they have the opposite bias, pessimism bias, where they tend to see the exaggerated flaws and tend to see the world as a, too risky in a place compared to reality. And so this is where one bias, the optimism bias, and another bias, the pessimism bias, can combine together effectively if you know how to work together when you don't know how to work together, what tends to happen is that optimists just generate ideas and pessimists shoot them down. And there's just a lot of team conflict. That doesn't help anyone. Now, the helpful thing is for optimists to generate ideas, give them to the pessimists, for pessimists to select them, and then implement them. That's that's an effective way for them to collaborate. So those are a couple of other examples of cognitive biases, how they can Put, play negative roles in your life in everyone's lives and how you can actually address them
0: interesting yeah that's really interesting. I think it's good to be aware of of these uh, biases that we have in our in our brains that can maybe we don't see them i mean' that's, that's why they're biases right uh, we don't mm-hmm. see them, but we definitely need to just you know keep them in mind um, to be aware of them so that we can be wise in our decision-making and practical too. Um, and it sounds like a pessimist is somebody who's almost like a pragmatist or somebody who just can see things objectively a little bit more so than the optimists and the entrepreneurs like me and you. <laughs> so <laughs> it's definitely uh, also my, my weakness slash strength as well. So, um, <clears throat> so how, I, I'm curious too now, um, how can we Develop resilience because let's just say I mean the reality is that we're gonna make We're gonna end up making some some poor decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Just because you know, that's how we evolved and that's how uh, things are things go sometimes Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, How do we develop resilience uh, when we make the wrong decision? that that leads to a disaster, right?
1: (laughs) Yes. So the first thing with resilience, you want to focus on what you get from the disaster. I mean, obviously, this is from recovery, you know, so let, let's take an example of the irate customer, right? The irate client who submits an email. When you get that email, that that's kind of a minor disaster, because uh, especially if the client is an important one and you have... Not the, if you have big ticket clients, so each sale is a big one, then having a, a customer who's irate at you that's not a great thing, and that right. can lead that that is kind of a disastrous situation minor everyday disaster so the way that you address that is that you of course problem solve so figure out what is the problem here and solve it and that involves addressing the customer's feelings, concerns, because about 80 to 90% of our decision-making, of our, of our behaviors, of our beliefs, is driven by what we feel. Just when we go forward and let things go naturally, of course, that's not always, that's often a bad idea, as I said earlier, to let things go naturally and make decisions naturally with our gut intuitions, but you're client most likely doesn't know that so they are going based on their feelings and you need to adjust their feelings calm their feelings you know address their concerns figure that out so that's kind of one area but then you want to not simply do that you know not want to simply do the object level thing which is the immediate thing in front of your face but to look at the underlying systematic reasons what are the reasons for you making the wrong decision you know you're not Mm. only simply make the wrong decision you don't simply solve the problem you go look you go backward and you look at the process what in your process caused you to make the wrong decisions so perhaps you fell into some cognitive biases that you didn't realize perhaps your underlying systems and processes of making decisions are screwed up maybe you're too optimistic maybe you're too pessimistic you know so with that email i would look at the underlying systems and processes that i have in the organization you know i recently had an e- email from a client who uh, it was a small ticket purchase so it wasn't kind of a big deal but it was somebody who was trying to buy a bo- to try buy a book from my website and they had trouble getting the workbook that was associated with the book. Now, when I went back and tried to figure out like what's going on there, I found that the graphic designer didn't finish designing the workbook. So they didn't put it, so my marketing team didn't put it into the email for the client at the right time. And so that was a problem because there was a lack of communication, clear communication. So I had to change and make sure that there was much clearer communication going on between the graphic designer who's an outside person and my internal marketing team and me. <laughs> so that was that was the nature of the issue. And so I had to figure that out. And now if I just calmed down the client and gave him the workbook, that wouldn't have addressed the problem. So that's something that you need to learn about and think about, well, what are the underlying issues causing the problems? Look at the root of the situation. And of course, then uh, once you learn, figure out what you learned and figure out how to adjust your systems going forward to decrease the kind of wrong decisions that would lead to disasters in the future.
0: So it seems like uh almost the process of uh i've heard of kind of this like post-mortem or you know kind of evaluation of what just happened um mm-hmm. looking at you know okay this just happened <laughs> why did this happen <laughs> let's mm-hmm. list all the reasons um for making this decision and then also maybe looking at what did we learn from this right what, what did we? Yes, learn? exactly so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah looking at the processes that's really helpful um this is great. No, this is very interesting uh, to look at, you know, what is it uh, that can help us to make better decisions and to have a better process overall mm-hmm. for making better decisions? Um, so man, th- thank you so much. This has been really, really interesting. And I I wonder if you have any other advice uh, for, for listeners out there who just really want to have a more happy life today.
1: I'd strongly advise listeners to learn about what cognitive biases they are most vulnerable to. So for example, for me, I mentioned optimism bias. I mean, I have others which I can go into in much more depth, but to which I'm most vulnerable to. And so you want to learn which ones you're most vulnerable to. Because if you can address them and you can solve these problems in advance, I mean, I solved, started solving so many more problems and addressing problems in advance, nipping them in the bud once I learned about my optimism bias, once I learned that that's something to which I'm particularly prone to. So you want to learn what you are most prone to. And there's an assessment. My book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters, has an assessment in the end in chapter seven, which helps you go through the whole the 30 most dangerous cognitive biases in mm-hmm. professional settings and address them figure out how to address them which ones you're most vulnerable to and how to address them and if you want to get a free copy of that assessment a digital copy of that assessment that's going to be on disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe so a pdf of the assessment again on disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe that i think is really going to help you be a lot more happy by eliminating a lot of problems.
0: Yeah, that's that's really helpful. I think if you can see those beforehand, right, I think it was Dante that said the arrow seen coming, uh, cometh less rudely or something like that. And if we can see those arrows coming before they hit, um, you know, it's mm-hmm. a lot easier. And, and I think also, um, you know, I think resilience is hugely uh, built by by learning, right, and evolving, mm-hmm. like actually evolving, and saying, "Okay, gosh, you know that was horrible." Uh, so, f- one example is um, when we very first started, uh, my wife and I first started doing uh, business online. We we made a whole bunch of money, really, really fast. And we were very unwise with how <laughs> we uh, paid our taxes, and so we mm. learned, um, you know, that uh, the government need, uh, asks for or requires much more than we set aside. And so mm. um, that was a big lesson for us, uh, you know, maybe five six years ago when we were very first starting and having some great success online, to see that oh my gosh, we need to we need to set aside a lot more. But if, mm-hmm. we, if and and um the degree to which we learn quickly right so that we can pivot those things um uh you know can help us to you know not experience that disappointment um in the future that we mm-hmm. that we experience of oh my gosh we have you know <laughs> twenty five thousand dollars of of uh of tax debt now um yeah. you know back in the day so Uh, big lesson learned, but if we can learn from those and then pivot, um, you know, our future happiness, which I would say resilience, right? Our future happiness Mm -hmm. is going to be greater. So I I love that. I think that's really helpful. And, and, and it's honest, I think it's, I think it requires a good amount of humility um, Mm -hmm. to, to, to look at ourselves and say, you know, just admit the fact that we have biases like we all do you know Mm -hmm. we're we're all very biased um and which ones the question isn't am i biased the question is which ones do i have exactly right um and if we can figure those out then i think you're exactly right i think we can help ourselves to be um you know to increase our our well-being Yeah, that's excellent. Glad, thank you so much. This has been awesome, and um, I want to uh, just share with 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 the listeners. Where can people find you and, and learn more about about your work and follow you? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters, is available in bookstores everywhere. If the bookstores are still open around you and not closed <laughs> due to lockdowns. So, uh, you know, don't go to a bookstore if, if uh, you have a shut stay-at-home order, please. But uh, it's published by a great traditional press called Career Press. So it is available in bookstores in physical form. It's available online in Amazon, Barnes Noble. Of course, there's a digital copy and an audiobook on Audible. You can also check out the assessment and dangerous judgment errors in the workplace, as I mentioned, on disasteravoidanceexperts.com. Free copy of it, PDF copy, on disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. And disasteravoidanceexperts.com in general, that is my website. So you can check out blogs, videos, podcasts, all sorts of resources. Doing a lot of online classes right now, virtual classes, coaching, of course, I previously did much more in-person stuff, but you know, COVID-19, right? <laughs> and finally, <laughs> yeah. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you have any questions about anything you've heard in this podcast, please connect with me there and ask those questions. Dr. Gleb Ciporsky,
0: G-L-E-B-T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y. Excellent. Thank you so much. This is really helpful. And I hope uh, that uh, everyone can can listen to this and benefit from all these uh these learnings about our own cognitive biases and how we can make better decisions. So thanks so much for being here, Gleb. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really hope this episode helped you to have a more happy life today. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. You can also find me on Instagram at morehappylife or by going to morehappylife.co. Thanks for listening and see you soon.